0: Despite there being a hundred thousand things on that on that storefront, right, that you just you look at it for a while, you're like, I don't want to see any of this. Yeah,
1: there's that there's that moment of feeling like there's just nothing to watch. Yeah, yeah as you're staring at a screen full of stuff. For- <laughs> Hey everybody, welcome to episode 269 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast of Butterscotch shenanigans. I'm Seth and I'm the games programmer. I'm Adam and I'm slowly roasting. I'm
0: Sam. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, it's hot. There's no AC when you're podcasting. It's, hot. it's hard time. It's hot. Uh, this is a show where we talk about life, business, and working in the games industry. Today is July 24th, 20 Blundy. Before we get started, we have a warning. There's going to be swears in this show. So buckle your ear holes. Buckle them open or so you, or you get all get, of buckle them. Buckle them open so you get the swears in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'd also like to thank our supporters over at moneygrab.bscotch.net. We grabbed their money and we liked it. <laughs> well, thank you very much. All right. all right. We got some updates about some stuff that we talked about last episode. For starters, cats. Kittens.
0: Yes. What is kittens. the story – Adam where Where we have the ongoing saga to update we're we're practicing the lady who sawed a fly principle of getting larger animals to reduce the chaos of smaller animals Um, yep Oh, we kind of did the opposite, I guess, because we got one kitten and then yeah, a, a smaller kitten. So we're kind of doing yeah. inverse, <laughs> an inverse, inverted old ladies. Scenario. Sort of a Benjamin Button swallowed a fly sort of. Yeah, so. yep. yeah that's the kind of thing we're doing. Um, so we got this tiny kitten. Uh, <laughs> she her, her name is is Charlie uh, because she has this little like ink smudge nose that kind of looks like a Charlie Chaplin mustache, you know. Um, so yeah, uh, so, so I mostly refer to her as Laser Kitten because she her, she she meows it with little pew pew noises. So that's uh that's that's what we got. That's the situation we're in now. We've got this tiny kitten. She's wearing a onesie, also because uh, she won't stop licking her her neuter site. And so, uh, so my
1: wife took a sock, that cut big, some holes in big, it, like made a, a little onesie. Belly, we, uh, incision, right? Yep, got like a big a belly big, incision.
0: Yeah. And she just keeps licking it, so we just pulled that thing over. And uh, so now she's a little a little kitten sausage. So, anyway, so we got this kitten. <laughs> we got this laser kitten sausage. And uh, and the goal was to use her as a exhaustion mechanism for our other kitten, who we've now had for months. He's about a year old now. He looks like a cat, so I'm not really sure. We, we, we're a little bit too late to this game, but we know we're, we're, we're going to make it happen. We're going to make it work. <laughs> uh, so we're going through the very slow process of introducing them, where you like smell out of the door for a while. You introduce them to each other's spaces, blah, blah, blah. But we finally got to the point where we uh, could feed them while they're looking at each other right across it's oh, a area. big it's a big moment uh, I can't even and, eat when looking at someone else you know? <laughs> no just they lose it it's it's it is just it is crazy how slow this process is to to do it right um but the weird so yeah so it's moving we, we started this this week we've had like three days of it it's been generally pretty chill uh with the with the, with just the exception that our, our now older kitten who's way bigger he's like easily three times as big as this tiny tiny laser kitten is uh turns out he's a little fucking wuss He's just Mm. he's just a little wuss. So he's he gets he's totally fine for a while, and then he gets more and more nervous over time. It's like he finishes his food, and he just starts looking, and then he kind of like backs away, and then he gets a little aggressive because apparently he's freaked out. And then for literally, then we separate them, and you know whatever. But then for literally like an hour afterwards, he's like really skittish, like he's just been spooked so hard (laughs) from seeing this tiny kitten, who I guess is the most intimidating thing in the universe. That like like, see that thing? Yeah, (laughs) making laser (laughs) noises. Yeah, yeah, it's like it's like he saw a ghost or something, and he's like and he's just like super freaked out, and so, so then uh, to the point where the other cat who he has been harassing, which is why we got this tiny kitten, he's now scared of the other cat for like the next half hour. Perfect. That's all Scared fun, of other right? things. Well, except the way that he acts when he gets scared is he first kind of like backs away, and then if he feels like he hasn't resolved the scenario, then he goes for a, a face smack, which then exacerbates the problem all over again.
1: <laughs> so you know what you need, huh? You need a therapy dog <laughs> for this cat. Yeah. <laughs> yep. If the therapy
0: dog can't handle it, then we got to get you a peacock. You know, a yep. therapy peacock. A therapy that, peacock those those make true laser noises. Where they're like, ah. You yeah, know? that's true. To Pretty sure it's a laser. Their sounds like. As fuck. Yeah,
1: I've heard lasers. Uh, <laughs> yep. Well, it's the, Actually, that, it's the sound
0: that uh, that baby that baby alligators make. So, if if any of you listening have never heard baby alligator noises, just uh, just go oh, look, yeah. look, go to YouTube. It is you will hear it, and you will say, "No, this is not. This is not true. This is somebody audio photoshopping. This this mm-hmm. is nonsense." Yeah, uh, it is the sound. There, there's some videos we put up. That's just like a bunch of baby alligators in a bathtub or something. I don't know, like in some little pool, uh, and they're just all making these little weird pew pew laser noises. It's <laughs> fucking amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and this is basically the noise that this kitten makes, which is why I refer to it as laser kitten. But, the, but if, I, if it wasn't for the fact that it's sort of like a transubstantiation of noises, right? It's like you hear laser noise from, like, from Star Wars, right? Then you hear these alligators that are close to that, but not exactly right. And then I have this kitten who's now close to this, but not exactly that. Mm. And so it's like a laser noise twice removed, right you yeah.
1: know? So, so there's this book, book series that I read a, a, quite a while back. It's very stupid. It's called Star Force. It's kind of like an 80s – The eight, it's like a book version of 80s action movies. Mm, do sure we have go. a Star Force um, now?
0: Space Force. Uh, space we space have force? a
1: Space Force, yeah. But uh, they use lasers. But one of the things that the author chose to do, which I thought was kind of cool, is, is treat them like normal lasers, which is they're completely silent because it's mm, just yeah. a laser. And also invisible um, probably, right? And it's invisible, yeah. And so he's, he's describing uh, space battles and how it's weird because, like, in, inside the ship, you hear nothing. You feel nothing. There's no recoil. And then off on, like, the screen, they would see the enemy ship, like, um, you know, millions of kilometers away. And all of a sudden, it just melts. <laughs> like, nothing, nothing else. You don't see why it's melting. It just gets real hot in one spot. And then a hole melts in it, and then that's the whole thing. Yep. That that would make for a much less interesting Star Wars movie. It certainly would yeah, than
0: having the TIE fighters that roar across the vacuum of space. And,
1: mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, yeah. But apparently it's very bright. You know, if you're if you're holding a laser and you're firing one that's strong enough to melt a spaceship, then you need a protective visor because it's pretty bright. So. No, well, I was going to say,
0: Adam, so far, you as far as how this uh, laser cat scenario has ended up for you, we've got now – you have had to create a onesie for a cat. Yeah, there's a lot um, going on. You, <laughs> uh, we're still in the slow <laughs> intro phase. So there's some additional management overhead.
1: Uh, and you have puncture wounds. You
0: got mauled by the scared cat. That did also point. happen, yep. Uh, and the, it didn't the get affected though, so I'm going to call that a net win. hmm Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the cat – who was who this is all done for uh is now not attacking the original cat but is uh is scared and then sometimes attacking it so we're sort of in like a we're in like a halfway halfway to where we need we're to in be some sort of strange limbo state <laughs> um, yeah i think it's it's really it's fortunate that we are trapped at home during a pandemic because now there's i just got nothing else to do besides figure out how to make this puzzle work
1: uh, <laughs> So, you know, we got we got
0: that going for us.
1: Mhm. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Well, I'm I'm sure next episode we'll have no, there will be more. Yet, there will yeah, be next episode a, she'll, be, she'll be out
0: of her onesie. Uh also every time we we uh we take her out of it temporarily to like clean her up and you know let her spend some time free. Mm-hmm. Uh it's as if it's like the opposite of when you have caffeine and you and you take energy away from the next day. You know? It's like she's been building it inside of this onesie <laughs> for, you know, for, for days. And then that little fucker will just run – she will just run for an hour. It's just like running and leaping for a whole now the, hour.
1: Now that the onesie's off, Now it's that the onesie's up,
0: it's like she's, she's like <laughs> panting the whole time. And you would think at any moment she's going like to keel over dead. But no, she can still jump on you. Like she is going to do it. It is uh, – that's very <laughs> weird. So, so things are going to be very different once she like gets into some sort of more normal state. She also gets very angry and makes a lot of laser noises at you as you putting the, the the sweater or the onesie back I mean, on. Yeah, I man. So you're container, you're constraining Yeah, you yeah. Know? She she hates it, and so there's a lot of uh, a lot of just sort of general anger also involved. So it'll be awesome. <laughs> it'll it'll be much better once we get this fucking onesie off. Yeah. Great. Wild time.
1: Uh, Wild time. Yeah. So also last episode we talked about. Um, the what did we call it? The tech tech debt. Burned, burned down, rodeo down rodeo circus. Rodeo circus, um, namely transitioning the entire portfolio of games over to Rumpus and sort of bringing them up to date, so that we can once again patch them, keep them from crashing. You know, you name it, all those things, all those good things. Uh, so last episode, I had said that uh, by now we would probably be done with Roid Rage and Flop Rocket and we are nice so those are uh, we don't have the the uh in app purchase butter up hooked back up but you know we'll we'll, we'll figure that out that's up point. and so now it's on to quadrupus rampage um and then last is tellfide and then it's and then it's done so, they're all done you know so it's even working through these
0: in actually in the reverse order in which we built them so you're working backward in time uh yeah. sort so of, of course yeah so just into yeah. our stupidity, really. So tell us, yeah. what have you found? It's like yeah, it's, it's like an ice core where you're measuring CO two, except we're measuring stupidity. As you, yeah, as yeah, you go down it's the been
1: a, it's been super fun. So, so I just we just finished working on Levelhead, which is of course two year project, enormous, ninety thousand lines of code, biggest project we've ever made. Um, uses Rumpus, all the new web tech. It's very modular, very easy to update. All that stuff. Next was Crashlands that that uh, I worked on to get Rumpus into, which was the game before Levelhead, right? And uh, it was, it took two, I think two and a half or three weeks to get things migrated to Rumpus um, because it was mostly just broken in lots and lots of different places. Uh, It has, so there's this principle of programming called dry violation. Dry is don't repeat yourself, Right, mm-hmm. and so a majority of the of that three week period was me finding all these places where code was basically copy pasted uh and then turning turning that into like reusable stuff um, Roid rage and, and flop rocket were were uh pretty easy to work with, but by the time I got back to Quadrupus is where shit starts to get real mm. so the big i think probably the easiest way to to explain. The difference in programming is that the Quadrupus Rampage's cloud save syncing is originally eight hundred and ninety lines of code. Okay, after the rumpus, after the rumpus transition it's 17. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so there's just, there's just so much happening in that game. And also that was the first game that we made that got any kind of like a attraction in terms of player base. And there are thousands of lines of code in Quadruple's Rampage of all kinds of, Things like trying to integrate Twitter into stuff and Facebook and cross promotion between Quadrupus and other games, like made by other studios. Um, well, and the data storage too is like we, we didn't really know how to think about data
0: storage that, at the time, like at all. So we're we're always going to be wrong in, in discovering you know, five years downstream that we have been still been dumb the whole time, right? But oh yeah, but we were particularly ignorant that at that time about how to think about storing data. And basically, it was just sort of like, a, we had a one size fits all approach. We were just like, I have a MySQL database for, you know, for B-Sketch ID. That's where stuff is stored. So uh, it's just a bunch of columns of data. That's just what it is, just a bunch of, bunch of columns. And so, so, so we, in order to make that work with the stuff that we have in, in Quadrupus Rampage, we just used like a, a new column for everything. There's like, there's like 160 columns in this, in this table of stuff, yeah. even stuff where if, if something in column A is true, then stuff in column B must be false, right? So instead of having one column that's just like which one of those two things it is, right? <laughs> uh, we have two columns that are now, and now we had to have like now we had to add additional logic in the game that basically says, oh shit, if both of these are true, then like to fall back to this other default or something instead, right? And right. so so migrating this over to, because then we we just migrated stuff straight over to Rumpus, which is then kind of annoying because there's like all this stuff we're looking at. It. I'm like, we could literally collapse these 160 variables into probably like 20, I think, it looks <laughs> yeah. like. And it would be easier to use, it would make more sense. Oh, and man. then, of course, the data set would be smaller, it would be faster to update. There's like a jillion improvements that go along with this. But of course, that would require a bunch of dev time. Backwards point. compatibility problems. There's no point, and so we're going to still live with this just dumb, dumb, dumb setup.
1: Yeah. Uh, so I, that's what I've been doing, and I'm I'm even more worried about talfight.
0: That's uh, going to be uh, that's going to be something else
1: because yeah,
0: Talphite, very funny. Yeah. So,
1: so one of the things with Telfight is that uh, at the time we didn't have the understanding or the the, the tech. To upload binary files. So mm-hmm. all, all I mean by that is, like, take a file, upload it. Upload it to the server, right? Well, we also didn't even know how to think about
0: binary. So we didn't, we didn't even know how to, like, how do you to think about the... So the, the data in in, uh, in fight is basically, like, what rooms you've been to, which is just a bunch of X, Y coordinates, right? It's a perfect, yeah. perfect fucking scenario for really concise... Binary data,
1: right? Because it's just numbers. It. It just numbers. It's just numbers. Just numbers. Yeah, and numbers are tiny in binary. Yeah, um, but uh, no, we didn't do that. Instead, we we somehow managed to convert your save file basically into a giant URL. Yeah,
0: basically. Right. Yep.
1: Like like one really really long URL, like a web address, and then just send that URL to the server. Which would then piece the wow. like, take the URL back apart. It's all, it's
0: all very <laughs> weird, and the way that, the way that That's it worked. It's, it's yeah, so, so, so yeah, Intellify, <laughs> Intellify, uh, we, and Intellify itself has been updated a few times. So, uh, because it got updated to add Biscuit ID into it, and and uh, and when we we were we had found that the, just the normal save system in Intellify, and I remember this back when we were updating it to add B-Sketch ID, whatever that was, now five years ago or something. Uh, the saves were really slow, like crazy slow. Um, just like just a normal save without even using the internet or anything, it would take like two seconds, I think. Which you know doesn't sound like a long time, but we're talking like the tiniest amount of data, like, like possible. And it turned out because we were doing like several, like we were doing like several thousand string like operations on on the data before we could actually would save it. Just like this really weird wacky thing we were doing. Uh, and and then we had fixed that, we were so proud of it, but but there's a legacy consequence, which is that because it was so slow, and then the file that it being like so big and verbose is we made it so that you have to manually choose to sync your save to the cloud oh, because yeah. we were like because we we're like this is we're like just, too slow it's too dumb well, it's too can auto save it okay, yeah, you can't like auto save it so we'll just make this the player's problem because the the logic at the time was if we just have the players do it manually, then it'll be done as infrequently as possible, but still, it's now, the, it's now the player's fault if they don't think they're safe, right? I mean, it's so, an elegant solution for a oh very God. dumb problem.
1: <laughs> but well, yeah, yeah. So, so I think the best way I, I can describe this is – so we, we, I think we've talked at some point about the Dunning-Kruger curve uh, on the podcast. But it's, it's essentially the relationship between how much you actually know about stuff versus how confident you are in your expertise, right? Yeah, a, good, a good
0: example in the current world – is an anti-masker um, or an anti-vaxxer who says, I've done my research.
1: I've done my research. They, which They, they taken are putting themselves
0: <laughs> in an exact position on the Dunning-Kruger curve peak. that you can just – the peak of it. You can just look yeah. right at it.
1: Yeah. So the way the curve works is like once you know a little bit about something, uh, you tend to dramatically overestimate – how much of the total available knowledge you have now learned, right? So if you've, if you've gotten like 1% of the information available about a thing, you might think that you have 90% of it basically. Mm-hmm. Um, cause you've read 10 articles and what more could there be? Right. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, of course there, there are people who have dedicated their entire life to studying a particular topic. And, and have no those, confidence
0: at all. And no yeah, if you talk
1: to those people, they're <laughs> like, I'm just, I'm even more confused than when I started. Uh, <laughs> Because of course, the more the the deeper you dig, the more you realize how many unanswered questions there are, um, and just how complicated it all is. And also, just how
0: much of what we know is based on really fragile underpinnings.
1: Yeah, Um, and so going back through all these games is really, you know, it's it's kind of like riding the Dunning-Kruger curve like a roller coaster. You know, like I can kind of go back and see how. We had so much confidence about so many of the things that we were doing. We had absolutely no idea what was going on. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't know. We didn't know how to do just about anything. Uh, but we did it anyway in sort of like the hackiest, most thrown together way we possibly could.
0: <laughs> well, it's funny if you look at how uh, much work goes into that. Like you talk about this—you know, eight hundred lines of code to get the quadruple saves going when it could have been seventeen.
1: Could have been, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, yeah, and actually, actually, like after the Rumpus integration, Quadrupus is going to have fewer lines of code than before. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Even after integrating the entirety of the Rumpus code, set after into
1: integrating it. the entirety of Rumpus, uh, yeah, as well
0: as a new and interface that, and all sorts of new stuff. Yeah, there's a bunch of new stuff. Yeah,
1: here. yeah, and so I, I'm I'm able to to refactor the game code so concisely that the project is is shrunk. Uh, and this of and, course and, is the only the parts of it that you're even visiting, which is a small is, yeah, subset the, of the yeah, whole thing. I'm not even touching the gameplay. <laughs> I'm not even I'm not even I'm not even touching the actual like core game system. This yeah, is don't just go in the, there. The meta-level system. Don't even touch that. Uh, so yeah, it's it's been pretty fun. And honestly, it's it has been really cool to go back through these games as well because you know these games are seven years old. Um, and we we had some really fun and cool designs and ideas from back then that we have started looking as we're, as we're doing pre-production work into Crashlands two, you know, we're thinking about how to kind of tie some of the older games back in and stuff like that. And it's been kind of a nice refresher to be able to go back and just kind of see mm-hmm. what those games were like. And there's, the some, there's some cool like. stuff in
0: those games too. Like, cause I also, cause I've been doing all the data migration stuff. So I'll boot up all the old games to make sure things are working and that sort of stuff. And, and it has been actually very fun to, to boot those things up and look at some of our design decisions. Um, where I'm I'm yes. just kind of surprised that, that our, our past selves were clever enough to have thought up some of those things that we did, you know. I mean Yeah, and I mean
1: my, my favorite thing is the quadrupus rampage masteries. Yeah, those are great which is like it's like they're they're sort of like achievements. So they'll be about a specific thing, like like knock a thousand enemies off of ledges. And once you do that thing, then the mastery allows you to choose. Some way to make knocking enemies off of ledges even cooler, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like a talent point tied to an achievement. It's super cool and interesting. So, uh, Sam, were you going to say something?
0: Uh, I mean, I was just going to say I think it's, it's fascinating how, how clever we are and how dumb uh, in terms of – you know what I mean? <laughs> like you can you – can, if you're dumb, you can actually get away with it by being extremely clever, uh, but it, <laughs> but like it's you know you can't build certain things like you you can't take it super far but you can get plenty done. Being a clever mm-hmm. dumbass, I think it is. Yeah, sort basically, of by start, not knowing yeah. how much trouble you've almost gotten yourself into. Right? Yes, uh, it's that it's ignorance that, is bliss. Yeah, exactly. it really is. This is sort but of the definition of being a person and like and humanity as a as a as a collective. Right? It's that's like we are. If you look at the world around us, like we are dumb as rocks. But if you also look at the world around us so clever. We do some pretty <laughs> incredible things.
1: Yeah. It's, it's, it's the what's most the, hilarious what's the phrase. Contract. It's like you know you know just enough to be dangerous.
0: Yeah. Something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which is <laughs> why any
1: time I'm talking to uh
0: to like a a third party contractors or some some expert in a thing that I'm like a service that I'm using. I whenever they ask me about my, my knowledge level I say I know just enough to mostly stay out of trouble. But like that's that's the line I try to hit with all the technologies that I use, right? Um, and that's so why I, I try to learn just enough that like I'm there, and I, I'm kind of aware of where like the trouble boundaries are, you know. Um, but the reality is, you never know. You never know where all the
1: boundaries know. are. Yeah, and so so if you're going through all these all these games and just realizing just how out of date they've gotten in terms of the tech and rumpus and all that other stuff, um, we want We want to get into a better state of mind with those and develop better practices for keeping them up to date and maintaining them. And I was, so last weekend I was speaking to an online gaming buddy of mine who's a helicopter pilot. And he, uh, he had a really, he was just talking about their regulations that they, that they have to fire up the engines on all of the aircraft uh, every two weeks. So in the military, if they have airplanes, helicopters, whatever jets laying around, if there's if they're not being actively used, they still have to turn them on and do a maintenance check every two weeks. Mm. And I was like, Yeah, actually. That makes a lot of sense. Yep. Because you don't want it to be the case that when you need the dang thing, uh, nobody's checked it. In you two you years. don't know
0: its state. You don't know if it's working. You know, yeah. Yep.
1: Mm. Yeah. And and unfortunately, you know, that's where we've been with all these older games. Um and so we're we're gonna be trying to figure out how to you know, spin up the helicopters Mm -hmm. with much more uh, routine frequency so that these games can be expanded upon if need be. We can loop things back in like we used to with cross-game promotion and stuff like that. Um, So I'm very excited about this stuff. Uh, All right, now before we get into questions, uh, we want to talk a little bit about Crashlands 2 pre-production and the kinds of things that we're learning from it.
0: Yeah, so uh, for those... Uh, this is just a quick recap. This is the first time we're actually dedicating a, an intense period to the pre-production phase. And it's largely because a typical problem in a game studio is basically this, this issue of, uh, of phased labor, which is that typically in a large game studio, you know, it costs a lot of money to have everybody on staff all the time. And so there's a tendency to, uh, especially in the case of when you have your programmers, um, to always need your programmers to be programming things. And the problem is that after a project ships, uh, there's a long period of time where actually there could be design decisions being made, uh, frankly, a lot of decisions being made with no code going down at all. And in fact, uh, I think based on what we're learning, probably should be a long period of time where, where that planning phase is happening. And the issue typically is that you have to figure out, like, what the fuck do we do with these programmers? So Yeah, so in a really big company, they'll just be like, oh, we've got another project we can put you on to, mm-hmm. right? In a more mid-sized company, there might be, well, we'll just fire everybody. Also, mm-hmm. big companies do that too, um, and then we hire people back when we are ready to spin up the next title. Yeah, um, yeah, it's a it's a really sticky problem. Yeah, and and then in is other industries handle this in a variety of different ways, right? So, in the case of movies, everybody actually like each of the different uh, talent types is sort of like everybody shows up for a project and then leaves for a project, right? And so you don't you don't actually have this problem because it's it's not like the the it's not like the movie itself is forming a studio. Uh, to make just that movie and then has to figure out how the fuck to deal with you know the script writing parallels and everything else. And so uh games has this currently still has this weird structure that makes it very difficult. Uh where you want to keep the teams together, but that what that really means is that you actually have no capability to modulate the work uh because of the phase nature of game development. So uh what we've been able to do is because we're doing this tech debt burn down. It's given us this, this longer uh form of time. Uh now I think we're about like six weeks in or so, um maybe less. Um to really just be focusing on uh, crashlands to pre-production. And so what this amounted to is, is, basically running through all of the design pillars for the game, uh, having very regular meetings for a couple of days uh, to run through new ideas and stuff. And one of my biggest realizations uh, I think is that what you should be able to do in pre-production is actually cut stuff. Uh, and so there's a lot of this idea of like when you're, when you're in uh, the pre-production phase, there's a lot of supposed inherent risk with pre-production because Of course, ideas cost nothing and words cost almost, almost nothing. And that's actually what mainly what pre-production is, is sort of getting started on, on that idea phase. And then, and then you eventually get into, you know, doing some art and stuff. Uh, And so there's this fear typically that there's going to be like a big bloat where you're like, you're just going to write down all this shit. Like you're, you've been writing checks that you cannot cash at the end of the day. Right. Which would probably Um, be true if you were a designer who didn't know anything about what it means to implement the details definitely or if you weren't reviewing your document repeatedly with uh with people who do know how to implement the details yeah. right where everyone's to, goal is actually to end up doing as little work as possible for yes. for, for that reason keep scope that's always
1: my goal yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah yeah uh and so yeah that's one been the big finding i think from this this past week i think we've cut we've cut an entire uh faction of enemies out of the game as of about an hour ago uh, and very casually so just came up a couple times that like, oh, we could actually do this thing slightly differently with the story. So it wouldn't even involve these people. And then a little bit later, uh, this other thing, not necessarily needing to involve them. And then just sort of realizing, well, if those two core things don't need to involve them, then fuck them. We'll get them out of here. Like yeah, that's going to save the us Tons of time, tons of time and resources. And so uh, really what it, what it should be doing is you sort of you find the core through this pre-production process of the game. Uh, and then should be able to answer questions such that you can actually cut cut things out from your original vision, um, and then hone things that are still present closer to that core. So we actually we, we completely rewrote uh, the story premise as well uh, this week also, uh, and so you keep on just like cycling around the the ideas that started stuff and and kind of holistically look through things. And so I'm really excited because I think we're we're honestly probably a week or so away from the this initial design phase being uh, complete in terms of pre-production.
1: And with yeah. immediately there, there was
0: also there's a component too that we were talking about that we were really excited about that I just saw a message before we started this about maybe also cutting but it's really which is really actually kind of an end game feature. Um mm-hmm. and I think one of the things that we that we're starting to consider too moving forward is uh is just accepting the idea that no matter how good of a game we make it may not hit the market well. Right? And so, if we over invest in certain things like end game content, end game content or like having lots out. of different versions of something we have, but all before it's out, um, we may find that, oh no, now we're out of money. And this one didn't make any money. And now the, the studio is closed, right? Versus basically earmarking those as like, okay, these would be, this would be very cool. So, yeah, they're like, here's like sort of stretch goals. This to yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. Like, here's the list of things that, that, assuming everything goes well we get the game out it gets received well and it's making enough money that we can afford to continue developing it then here's these really cool features kind of already planned out and ready to go Uh, but we won't actually invest in them now though we will make room in the game as it gets developed today to be able to plug these new features into it right Mm -hmm. Uh, which is a different like it's just a conceptually different way of thinking about this than i have in the past but uh but i've I've been listening to a podcast <laughs> called uh, called Live Ops, something yeah, of Live Ops. It's a Sure, sure, brought to us, right? Sure yeah, so yeah. About. And it's by it's by the pe- it's by some people from Microsoft who work on uh, what's it like PlayFab or whatever. It's like a, mm-hmm. a bunch of like kind of pre baked uh, analytics tools and stuff. Uh, and they just interview heads of studios um, who who are largely doing free to play. So it's mostly free to play stuff. But but apparently that's kind of become sort of accepted wisdom in the in the free to play space, which is that uh, which is that. It's so risky to launch a thing, and you just don't know enough about how it's going to stick that you want to launch with sort of like they, they, you literally want to take the minimum viable product viable product model, right, and get that thing out um, so that you can actually see if this thing could work at all. And I remember it was a year ago, two years ago, we were talking about that that uh, the indie studio who launched who tried to, who, who had a whole thing for like getting wish lists on Steam or something, where it was like yeah. if we can't get x thousand, it
1: was. Um... It was coffee stain. Yeah,
0: it was coffee stain.
1: When they they made a game called Deck Splash, which was like a skate. You, oh, right, yeah, are, a yeah, yeah, yeah. you are a skateboard. Yeah. You are a skateboard. Yeah. You are a skateboard, and as you uh, skate, yeah. you you leave colored paint on things. It's becomes
0: like a Splatoon thing, right? Where you would, it's, it's like, a like Splatoon. Yeah. Tony
1: Hawk. But you are the skateboard, you're not riding the skateboard.
0: Right. And so, and I remember at the time, they they basically, I I can't remember exactly what what their thing was, but it was something like going to early access and just counting wish lists or something like that. They did a free weekend or something like that. They did a free weekend? Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah.
1: And they said, if we don't get 100,000 people over a free weekend, we'll assume assume
0: this isn't going to be worthwhile. And at the time. If you can't
1: give it away, yeah,
0: then it's bad. And, and (laughs) And at the time, I remember we all thought like, this 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 makes a kind of sense, but we, but none of us truly believed that this was a good enough indicator of because we're like hey, you're it's a, it's up for free you know it's like a partially made game It's uh, you're never going to be able to perfectly simulate the market yeah it would it thoughts, seems right? like it would depend that it would be too hard to actually be able to say like whether it works or not and in, in either case whether or not that would actually map mm-hmm. onto success you know in the future um, and I think while that is true that would be hard I think it actually probably was a better indicator than. Than, than I, I thought at the time. Yeah, that's a like perfectly fine a thing better. to infer. I think generally, <laughs> you know, like, especially because like think is like you can look at you can look at other aspects of the analytics, right? So, so I think aiming aiming specifically for like a hundred thousand users uh in the case of free weekends it's probably arbitrary. is really too arbitrary because what we've seen, like, it we've looked at too much games, on on exposure from yeah, arrest, at, exposure from Steam and all that stuff. Yeah, so what you probably want to look at instead is is Or you know what what people's actual behavior is uh, with retention, how likely they are if they hit your store page to actually download the game in the first place, and yeah, yeah, all that stuff. So it's a it's a bit of a
1: yeah. Well, and that's kind of a lesson that I feel like we've been trying to pull out from Levelhead as well. In looking at like other games that have launched around around the same time, looking at games like Deck Splash, looking at games like Totally Accurate Battle Simulator and some some of these like bare bones early access indie games that are just like goofy physics sims you know um and I, and i think it's i think it's true and it's i think it's hard to dispute that uh people buy a game based on its core premise not on its details correct yeah, yeah. yep right so if if when you show your game to people if they're not immediately like yeah and then down to buy it then uh adding Features like Correct. around around the edges of the game for another two years will not get people more excited mm-hmm. about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I think it is a, it, it was an interesting take that uh, Coffee Stain had in it. Well, yeah, and one of the other things they, we learned
0: is that or that we I believe we inferred from both this this pre production phase as well as just looking back at all of our games and then doing this industry analysis is that uh, if you have a hook. So in other words, if you have a very unique mechanic uh, to your game, but it's not visible, literally, Mm -hmm. as in like, if I'm playing the game, I can't, there's no way for you to really surface it. Um, Then you actually don't have a hook yet. I'm I'm sad to say. uh, What you have is just something that's interesting. But a hook is something where it's, like Seth was talking about, where it's something that actually functions as the core reason why someone would buy the game uh, in a way that they can can understand by looking at the damn thing, right? Uh, Because that's actually the only way you can it's the only way I mean, even before you play a free to play game that's the thing like if i the, the idea that a game being free means that like you're going to get it and check it out is also inaccurate right? cuz like you'll still watch a trailer and be like not for me it's free they're giving it away and you're like no i'm good like, i don't want still,
1: this still still too expensive yep yeah they'd have to pay me to play <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah
1: yeah it's wild there was actually a, there was a time where i was i was in uh, I was in India and there's a lot of uh, vendors just out out and about mm-hmm. and this uh, this man came up to me and he was like he had these giant balloons huge huge balloons and he was like do you want a balloon and i'm like no i don't <laughs> and he's like it's very cheap and i was like i you you could pay me, and I wouldn't want this. <laughs> the cost is the to, problem. Yeah, I was like, I would have to carry this giant ass balloon around. What am I gonna do with this, man? Like, mm-hmm. I he kept, he kept trying to. Yeah, he kept trying to negotiate the price down. Like, maybe, probably thinking that I was haggling, maybe. But I wasn't. I yeah, just, well, you can't tell the difference <laughs> between <laughs> in, in a
0: haggling-based haggling economy, you can't tell the difference between somebody truly not wanting something, <laughs> That's true. right? It's and yeah, pretending yeah, they that they don't to lower the price.
1: I, I wish that. there was a code. Oh, I was like a code word you could throw out to, to mean like, no, genuinely, I, y- you couldn't give me this thing for free. I, <laughs> yeah. I really, really don't want it. Um, but anyways, okay, we should get on to some questions. Yeah, let's I go. think. All right. These questions come from our listeners over at podcast.bscotch.net. Highest upvoted question comes from Tofos, who says, have you ever considered publishing games made by others? Yes. Yes. yes, yes, yes. We've we've considered it so many times and always (laughs) thought that it would be way too much work. (laughs) <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, so I guess having seen how much effort goes into to just a, a game launch, right? Because um, to me, publishing, because the big question here is like, what does it mean for our role yes. actually as a publisher? Because publisher doesn't mean any any specific thing. It means that you're somehow involved. It means maybe you just hand some money up. Maybe it means you hand some money out, and give some milestones. Maybe it means you hand some money out, and expect some money back. Uh, maybe it means that you don't, there's no money exchange at all. You just provide some services. And then if they make money down the line, you take a per second. Like, maybe you help them put multiplayer in. Who knows? Yeah. Maybe you, maybe you just get them in contact with the right people so that the good things can happen. The The spectrum of what it means to be a publisher is so broad that the real question that we've actually been asking is. Is what kinds of publisher services, um, you know, more specifically, are things that we feel like we would be worthwhile for us to figure out how to provide, um, and that's where the discussion has always been, and we've we've talked about it a lot at various points in the studio's history, and uh, and I think I think that still we're at we're the position that we're in is that is that when it comes to launches, the one really great thing for the studio that being a publisher would provide is the ability to have more launches, right? Instead of launching every four years or whatever, we now can do it every year or or whatever. And so we get to maintain and develop a lot more experience with what it means to actually try to successfully launch a game. So there's that really great sort of benefit. But at the same time, the cost of a launch is so fucking high (laughs) in terms of our Mm -hmm. time that it's been hard to imagine uh stepping into that role as a publisher in a way where we actually do end up on where we benefit as well as the the person who's whose right. work we're helping with right um because we will have to do it at the expense of our normal work mm-hmm. um
1: yeah we wouldn't be making games anymore yeah or, and so, there's just no way
0: so it's possible that there may be like as we continue to work on our, our processes for how we make games and how we try to sell games all this stuff and as Sam was just talking about earlier there are points in time during the game development cycle where different roles now are less needed for the for what's happening in the moment with the development of the game and and so what we've kind of been on the lookout for is just like over time are, are there people in the studio who find themselves in that scenario for like long enough periods of time who also whose knowledge set would be sufficient for us to do things like start to spin up a a sort of publishing kind of division. Uh similarly, are we building our tech in a generic enough way that a service that we could provide is helping people get cert ready or 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 actually providing rumpus as a as a tool that people can integrate with their games so that they can use it as an online system and all that stuff. Uh, like is it generic enough that we could do that in a low-cost way to ourselves and that sort of thing. So, so I think the the short of it is that we've had a fuckload of thoughts about it. But the answer has always been,
1: that's going to be way too expensive. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, yeah, well, and, it, and it's a lifestyle question. You know, yeah. What what do we want, what what kinds of problems do we find interesting to solve? And are those the problems we'd be solving if we were a publisher? Um, and I think we've kind of landed in a in a place where we are... Very happy with the kind of work that we do, mm-hmm. and switching to a, being a publisher would be a complete one eighty we 'd be doing a completely different set of things um, and there's a good chance that we would ultimately find those things enjoyable and, and interesting um, but you know why why risk it <laughs>
0: yeah, well, yeah. other well, exactly <laughs> is why risk it because it would have to be yeah. done at the cost of not. Either not, not making games game. at all or just not doing yeah. them as fast. And so – and I think that the main thing is that it's hard to see us stepping into any kind of a publisher role uh, with the current state of our studio and with the level of success that we've had where the the trade-off would definitely be worth it. And it wouldn't just be actually a very high risk.
1: Yeah. Yeah. All right. Next question comes from Kabanga Newcrag. Who's <laughs> – Uh-huh. How many episodes of the podcast do you record in advance? One, one. usually. Is it one? <laughs> it's none.
0: It's just one. It's just five well, it's minutes. in advance well, as in like we don't do it live. So, you you know what I Friday, mean? so the one. Friday before the Wednesday. Yeah, the, the Friday before the Wednesday.
1: Uh, yeah, we try to keep them fresh, you
0: know. Um, yeah, if someone's going to be gone for like a week, then we'll usually like try to record – Two Within a few days or something to have them be ready to go, um but yeah, for the most part it's
1: just just a few days before mm-hmm. we are delivering just in time inventory mm-hmm. yeah I think our-
0: I think over the 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 winter break we pre-recorded like three episodes, yes, I think, and we'll probably kind of do that sort of thing I think, did we just get some whiskey and hang out? Is't that what we did we did yeah, yeah I think we recorded we recorded two back to back on one day, and then I think one the next day or something mm-hmm.
1: yeah, the problem is like we i mean we could talk about stuff for days but we we try to truncate things a lot for the podcast to try to keep it high level and interesting yes. right um because like adam yeah because like adam could talk about you know, like web infrastructure and javascript for 39 hours if you needed him to
0: no I could talk way more than that
1: <laughs> but uh well, at a certain point, your your uh, vocal cords would you know? Oh, I'll
0: just keep I'll just keep talking. You won't hear what I'm saying, but I will keep going. You'll just way.
1: hear like a like a weird sort of like whistle, and mm-hmm. some dust will come out. But there'll be JavaScript. I really was just I mean, I was just there.
0: thinking today about some of the cool like weird tricks that I've been doing to make, make some fun stuff happen. Um, like there's a thing that I'm working on right now that's like that's using a property of of Git, which is our versioning thing, to make it work like a database to keep track of a specific kind of data. Um, that I'm like so pumped about and it's so fucking rad um, but like where am I going to go tell people about this you know <laughs> who's
1: going to care about this six people
0: six people will care about this six Good. people
1: will care um, yeah so when we do those those advanced episodes it's mostly like the first one is a normal episode and then the second one is is mostly questions and then the third one is just sort of deranged uh, <laughs> tangents yeah. so
0: deranged tangents yep
1: yeah uh, all right, next question comes from Beaky Bop Boop, who says, Jason Schreer, blood, sweat, and pixels author,
0: mm, recently
1: said, Video games are too long. Do you mm. agree? Oh, yeah, I remember seeing this. Uh, so
0: uh, I believe he was talking about it in the context. Was he talking about the context of of like epic sweeping? You know single player RPGs, or was he talking about the context yeah. of games that have no end and that want you to play every minute of your entire life? I think the former
1: because I think it was the first one, yeah yeah um, yeah, because you can 't really comment on the length of an endless game it is it is too long though you know, if
0: it's, if it keeps on going uh,
1: well, that 's that's like saying building model train sets is too long. Because, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. because it's a hobby that I've been doing yeah, my entire life. Yeah, I think life. too
0: long is, is just in general to me one of the weirdest kinds of complaints about a thing. Because if it's, if it's boring, then no matter how long it is, it's too long. Yep. If it's interesting, it doesn't seem to me that there is a length that is too long. Think, so maybe what he's saying is games are too boring. Yeah. Well, no, I think, I think what it comes <laughs> down to – because usually in those, in those epic sweeping games, right, uh, usually you, there is a core story that's driving the whole thing forward. So like I can think about my time with The Witcher. I just finished God of War recently. Uh there is a core story that's driving the whole thing forward. And so I think actually all it is, to be honest, is the the fact that when you play a when you play a modern AAA game, you're actually playing a movie. And while it's very cool to have a movie that's forty hours long, also sometimes you're like That's pretty long. What? I just want to know what happens and I'm trapped <laughs> for another eight hours. You know? Um well, I think there's a there's which a I get. related problem, which is that uh is that modern games are also padded really heavily with, which we are also guilty of, of side questing, right? So that, uh, but there's a a reason for this, which is to give you the feeling of having choice and agency, right? It's actually how you build the feeling of a world, truthfully. Yeah, it's how you feel like you're in a world. Um,
1: And so. Well, it's even simpler than that. It's, it's video games are too long, so that players don't complain that they're too short. There is like, that. There like is absolutely it's that. Such, it's such a better complaint to have about your game that it has too much stuff in it, versus people being pissed off that they spent sixty dollars and only got twenty nine hours of <laughs> mm-hmm. entertainment out of it. You know, when they were expecting at least two hundred. Yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, I will what, say, for me, for me coming to this as a as a business person who makes games for a living. I agree 100% with this because the less time people are playing other games is more time they could be playing our games. And so, that's right. from, a, Everybody from purely sure a games. business perspective, I feel like all, all games are too long and I feel like too many games are designed to be played forever. Yeah. But I think because that's,
1: that's who we're competing with for time. Unless they're ours, in which case they should be played forever we're just doing it defensively you know what i think i think this is kind of which (laughs) is that
0: i think the reality in the modern landscape i mean this you know you've seen these talks with like uh when when people ask Fortnite who they're competing with and they're like netflix uh the reality is that Mm -hmm. there's there's a lot of just stupidly good entertainment options like crazy good and actually ones that that massively overlap with the same uh, core audience so for example if you're making uh, like if you want to play Disco Elysium, for example, like it's a detective story. It's an RPG. It's cool as shit. I don't know how long it actually plays for. I played it for like 10 hours. No idea. I don't think I'm anywhere near the end. So probably a long game. Uh, you could also go watch like Sherlock or something and get mm-hmm. a similar sort of thing, right? And so I I get the feel, which is essentially that you want to be able to to finish a piece of content. You want to uh, diversify your entertainment experiences. Yeah, and I, like this happens with me and my wife. Where, like, I don't always want to watch a show. Cause I'm like, oh god, I don't want to, like I don't want to watch a show. I just want to have like a whole thing. Yeah, I want to have a whole long. experience uh, <laughs> in a, in a, in one evening. I well, want this to is be interesting here. though because I think I think this is I think people do fall into these two camps, but I, I, but I'm not sure. Because, of course, this guy was coming to this as a journalist, right? His his job is to write about games. I which means bet he he's tired to, of how fucking I bet long he's tired it. of it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and and if Poor you're, guy. Yeah, and you yeah, and you hear this, you hear this actually with some frequency where where you're, you're especially lately where people talk about accessibility options of like, like being able to choose sort of the difficulty level of a game yeah. and that sort of thing. Where it's not just about uh, like. The people playing it because they aren't as skilled or whatever, but also because people, some people have less time and they want to make sure they can still experience more of the content by being able to get through it faster and so on. Um, so there are people who argue this, right? And, and I think that that's a real thing that definitely a lot of people experience. But my bet is that most people do not want the overhead of making the decision about what to do. I count myself in that pool of people. Every time I finish a show, I'm fucking bummed. Doesn't matter how great the ending was, like none of that. Every time I finish a book series, Fucking bummed. It. Yeah, now you're in the dude, void. I, uh,
1: I love things that are way too long. Yeah,
0: I want everything to be endless, like, <laughs> but good the I'm whole time. I'm sick
1: of making decisions, man. Yeah. Like, this, is, this is why I've been playing uh, almost exclusively World of Warcraft since the pandemic started. Like, I don't, you know, I don't want to have to spend my evening looking at the home page of Netflix trying to figure out what my evening's going to look like. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I want to know what my evening's going to yep, look like. You know, like. the contours. And that means me being an orc. Punching night that's yep. what?
0: Yeah, that's I think, what my I think is. that is just the reality. I think for most people, that's what they're looking for. They're looking for those things that they get to fall back on. Of like, it's the it's the comfortable space. They know what's going on, right? They've they've built yeah. up a ritual around the thing. They've got people involved who they talk to about it. Because like, especially if you're if you're interested in games, sort of games as a hobby, right? Then if you want to be able to communicate with other people about the stuff that you're doing, you have to find somebody else who also wants to play the same random miscellaneous subset of games that you're going to play. Mm-hmm. So I think, and this is one of the things that makes it so hard to be an indie game studio, is that the reality is, honestly, people are not looking for new games. Like, really, like They just really aren't that much. Mm-hmm. They're mostly playing the games that they're already playing, and it's only this like small subset it's still a huge number of people, right? But it's a small subset of of the gaming population who like plays more than one or two games and who is actively looking for mini games throughout the year. And I can't remember; it's been a long time since I saw those numbers. But I remember Steam had at one point put out like some data, or no, it was, it was Steam Spy about like what how many games users actually own, right? Yeah, oh yeah, it's obscene. It's like there's a small percentage that actually owns most of the games on Steam, right? And then everybody else plays one or two games. They they literally play like one or two games. Yeah. And, and so if you look at, like, so Steam is always, like, you look at the huge numbers, and people are looking at Steam as a market. We're like, well, Steam has, you know, 10 million daily active users and all this stuff. But if you look at what those users are doing, yeah. like, like, something like how many 6 daily million of them are playing the top five games. They're
1: yeah, playing right? Grand Theft Auto Five, Yeah, Grand Theft Auto <laughs> V and, <laughs> and How team many Fortress daily team? active uh, shoppers? Are yeah, because that's what actually matters.
0: And it's, it's going to be a team. Yeah, there's like, there's, like, 10 people. <laughs> it's a tiny, tiny fraction. So I think, I think this is actually... We we just this is the root of the problem of why it is so hard to successfully make and sell games. Is that and we we made this joke a long time ago, right? Where we said, what was it? We're making a product that nobody needs. Correct. Right. So like Seth had this in a talk somewhere. Mm-hmm. There's like some sequence of things. But the point being, like, there's infinite alternatives, nobody needs it. And the most important bit is that nobody's even looking for it, really, right? And yeah. Uh, So it's It's a
1: bit of a hard sell. Yeah, the
0: the reason (laughs) that it works is because we live in the area, the era of the internet, and there are just enough people, just period, that even though there's that tiny, tiny subset who actually could even possibly, in a million years, actually see that your game exists and then also say, "Oh, I want to try this thing out," uh, that that could be enough people, depending on the game and the timing, right, uh, to support a small indie team. Yep. So that's, yep. that's, the, that's the world that, we're, that we've decided to live Yeah, well, live I think exactly. the funny thing about that comment, too, is the reality is, like, there's a shitload of absolutely fantastic short games that do exist. So this is one of the things oh, I'm yeah? going to be 100% honest. Like, hearing reviewers in particular say shit like this makes my blood fucking boil because oh, yeah. <laughs> of exactly what you just said, <laughs> which is that being an indie, being a standout indie, really hard, right? Really fucking hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of small games. I just played a, a short hike. I just played that a couple weeks ago. Absolutely phenomenal. How about instead of being like games are too long, when in reality there's like a thousand games that are probably under four or five hours that are absolutely beautiful and stupidly good. There like, are way more short games than there are long games. Also, yes, but think about this way too. More. Like, let's
1: say let's Put say you go look it up, man. Let's say what if you're a reviewer and you've got forty hours in a week, you know, in a work week, uh, you're gonna you're gonna spend. I don't really know what the breakdown. Let's just say it's fifty fifty. Half the time writing, half the time playing. I don't. Does that seem sure, I don't know. Reasonable. So a game like a short hike, uh, maybe maybe you're gonna ha- get, play an app for an hour, and like you're gonna get get out of it what you need, get a good sense for the game. There's not a whole lot else going on, and then you move on with your day. Are you gonna play twenty games this week?
0: Well, here's a better question for you: <laughs> Are you gonna? That's insane. Uh, Are you gonna do it, that? <laughs> a better question is: Is it remotely possible for a short game? To create as big of a uh, wave and as big of a f- on enduring fan base as a long game, because literally the answer is no. Because guess what no, I there's, short nothing, there's nothing to endure around. Yeah, I played short hack a single day, a single afternoon. Right. So my it did experience has now become that, a
1: part of your life. Well, not
0: literally. only that, but like my experience yeah. with that doesn't even overlap with it. Overlaps with like a couple hundred people's experiences of that. Right. There's not. It's not like Animal Crossing, right? You see this currently with Animal Crossing. There's so many people still playing the fucking game. And you In see all these pictures. Yeah. yeah, if the game only took four hours to play, that, like, it. it's not possible for that big sort of wave. You don't have the overlap of the community actively playing. Which also means that as a journalist, there is no incentive for you to write about short games. There's not. Because yeah. nobody because wants to read about them. About, because yeah, there's not it's over. People. It's, it's well, over. There's there's actually one people. of the core problems that we have with Crashlands as a game is that, is that since it's a single-player game, and most people even though there's you know it's, there's a 30 hour possible story in there um, most people basically they start playing it kind of randomly and they play it for maybe like a few hours at a stretch and then they may or may not come back to it and actually continue playing yeah. and so so what this means is that the number of players that you need to have a high a good concurrency so that there are a bunch of people who mm-hmm. actually form a active community because an active community community requires multiple people thinking and caring about the thing at the same time right uh, is is remarkably difficult um, versus, say, like Levelhead, where Levelhead actually has uh, you know, far fewer, partially because of time, but has far fewer the overall number of players compared to Crashlands, right? Mm-hmm. But the community is far more active, way more oh, yeah. active yeah. than Crashlands ever yeah. was because the people who are playing it get to keep on playing it and keep on finding new content and keep on sharing stuff with each other. Mm-hmm. And they get to create this ongoing community because there's so much stuff to, or so much time that they can spend uh, that overlaps with other people's time.
1: Yeah. Yep, there's a lot of stuff to consider. They're journalist I think, video, guy? I think I honestly think video games should be super long, and I think they need to be super long. I think they and have to be. What, to I be think that's just what kind of successful, probably. Yeah, yeah. In the and, general there's, sense. and there's and there's you know like Sam's talking about a short hike. Like there's or maybe games like Monument Valley. Um, there's there's exceptions for these things, but it's it's been kind of interesting seeing things like um, like Apple Arcade come out. Mm-hmm. You know, they they filled they filled up their uh, initial roster with lots and lots sorts of, of weird stuff, cool stuff and short Yeah, lots things. and lots of these small 30-minute, you know, experiences. Or a few hours. So, yeah. Um, but now, now what you're seeing is uh, a lot of people are, are rolling out of that service because they're like, yeah, I played a bunch of these short games and kind of got my fill and uh, – Well, the money makers
0: on the platform are the ones that people get to keep on playing forever.
1: Yep. Yeah, because because of course, like, why would you keep subscribing to something when you've already, like, sampled and played through all of the things that you cared about, as opposed to having a thing in that subscription service that you can just keep coming back to day after day after day after day, yep. right? Mm-hmm. Um, but that's,
0: I mean, there's a reason why once you finish watching a thing on Netflix, that despite there being a 100,000 things on that, on that storefront, right, <laughs> that you just, you look at it for a while, you're like, I don't want to see any of this.
1: Yeah, there's that. There's that moment of feeling like there's just nothing to watch.
0: Yeah, yeah <laughs> as you're staring at a screen full yeah. of stuff. Yeah, because, like, because there this, isn't yeah. for you actually right in that moment because the stuff well, that aligns you with your interests is uh, is actually a tiny tiny subset of all the stuff that's available. Yeah,
1: all you want truly is more of the thing you just had. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, there's there's your answer right. for that journalist question. Yeah. Uh, all right. Last question comes from PS7 Cho, who says, "What's one food you couldn't bear to live without?" To live without. I'm gonna this go. Is a with,
0: Different question than just your favorite thing. This is like the one thing that if you never got to have it again.
1: You couldn't bear. Be
0: miserable couldn't to live without it. Bear. Let's let's re- remove survival based goods. I want to hear. Yeah, I want to hear like, salt
1: from you. Yeah clever sodium. people tired of it <laughs> water uh let's see couldn't bear
0: i honestly could bear to live without basically everything i'm gonna be 100 yeah i don't give a fuck uh <laughs> yeah no, as, far, <laughs> as far <laughs> as, <laughs> as <laughs> <laughs> things that i would be i'm just gonna change a little bit what oh, would you just be bummed if you couldn't have any more if someone actually like, let me do-, do it this way if the doctor was yeah, like what are the for, things that you're allergic to this now <laughs>
1: Honestly, <laughs> right. I don't okay, – okay. I still don't care. I because <laughs> I, 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 th- I had this. Because I had a thing like around, around the time I turned 29, like my guts were just hurting all the time. And I'm like, maybe it's a lactose thing. So I stopped consuming dairy. Uh, no ice cream, no cheese, no pizza, basically no dessert, period. Because all dessert is made of milk pretty much. Because it's delicious, yes. um, Didn't Didn't affect my mood even 1%. Uh, It's Mm -hmm. fine.
0: Who cares? (laughs) I think maybe the way to think about this then is: what is a a thing that you begin to crave, like a truly crave, if you haven't had it for a long Mm. period of
1: time? Because I only crave things. Nah, I only crave things because I know that they're available. Like, if if I suddenly don't have the option to have something, then. It's like um, removed you know, from your radar. Yeah, it's just it's out of out of sight, out of mind, right? Like, there's I think there's a reason why people say if you're trying to lose weight, then you should like don't have snacks in the house, mm-hmm. right? Because like once they're not there anymore, then you're dramatically less likely to have the the craving Definitely. for the thing because the triggers are gone, right? Adam,
0: what about so, you, do you have like a, is there like a thing that every so often you're just like I need there?
1: There are a do few things like that every once, once in a while just have them?
0: to. Yeah, I have to suddenly just go buy something every once in a while. Mm-hmm. those are basically extra toasty Cheez-Its is one of those two <laughs> things. Uh and then and then some form of candy. It's, it usually is kind of non-specific, and, and I decide once I get there. But there's every once in a while it's just like I need the only thing I want in this universe is some fucking candy. And actually the most recent one though is not one that I was craving uh in the absence of seeing it, like being aware that it existed. But it was when we were we were at a, a Chinese grocery store um, last weekend, and uh, and as we were walking down the aisles, I just like out of the corner of my eye saw this instant coffee. It's, a, it's actually I think it's a Vietnamese like instant like oh yeah coffee thing, uh, and uh, and. It's, it's a it's a substance that I've like I've had a lot. I used to basically I, I discovered it when I first was visiting my wife's family because they didn't have any coffee in the house, but I had this stuff. And they were like, because they knew I needed some coffee, so they were like, just have just have this thing. And I was like, what is this nectar of the gods, you know? Uh, and and so I was like hooked on it really hard for a long time. And then I had to get off of it because caffeine was like hurting me so badly. And uh, and it's been a long. I haven't had one in probably a couple of years or something like a long time. And I saw it, and then there was suddenly nothing Ooh. in the universe that i wanted more <laughs> than that like no like literally it's
1: it's it's the hardest it's the i've ever craved yeah.
0: anything i was just like i need and I. I and it was like three in the afternoon we brought it home and i, I absolutely could not have caffeine that late but mm. i was still like eyeballing it like we're still really like really wanting to it and the next morning then i was like so excited. i got up and i was excited when i got up to like to have this substance <laughs> and uh <laughs> And I had mixed myself up a cup and it was. It was like it was the most delicious thing I had ever had. <laughs> like in that moment. It was just like it it was the best intersection of a craving and then and then resolving that craving mm. that i I think I've ever experienced. Yeah, um, as far as, and the hilarious thing, of course, is after that, is then the next day I had it again and I was like, This is fine, I guess. <laughs> yeah, this is whatever. Yeah, I think a, yeah. a good way to think about that question is basically what if what if you walked by in the store just cripples you in terms of like yeah. You either have to get it or have to be like, um, And for me, it's very situational. It's like there there's some oh, yeah. things that I always get, right? Like when I walk by it, I'm like, oh yeah, I definitely want to get like like for me, like I love black licorice. So it's like when I walk by it, I'm gonna get me some of that stuff, right? Mm-hmm. There's like a few things like that that I'll always get. But for the most part, like I don't really care. I'm not very excited about it, you know, whatever. But it's just every once in a while, there's just a there's like a thing. It's like for me, sometimes it's, the it's the ice overlap. cream, sometimes it's like yeah, sometimes there's an overlap or like it's just in the moment. That is the thing. Mm-hmm. And, it's, and to me, it's never been like the like one thing. There's always just like – some random rotating cast. One character. time I really wanted Oreos.
1: I don't even like yeah, Oreos you know, that much. But one time oh. I was just like, I just fucking need some of these. Right. <laughs> People are so dramatic about food. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like probably a year ago, I, w- I might have said meat. But I'm a fucking vegetarian now. So yeah, same. Have, <laughs> even that – it turns out even that I don't care. Uh, I think as long as I have nutrition – You know, or maybe here's the thing when it comes to like bearing to live without, maybe if you just think in terms of convenience, because if, if, uh, if wheat or like, so like if I couldn't get like bread or tortillas, it'd be really annoying, Mm -hmm. you know, like really annoying to figure out what to make and how to eat food. If I couldn't put it between buns or mm. wrap it in something. There you go. You know? I got
0: one finally. Eggs. That's it. It'd, I would be so oh, annoyed yeah. if I couldn't <laughs> eat on. eggs. Good God. Ah, like dude, I haven't,
1: I haven't the cheapest, had eggs. Oh, my God. It's just like the best. You haven't had eggs in a long time? You're, I haven't had eggs in like two months. Not oh for God. vegetarian reasons. I just didn't.
0: Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's the thing. I know this it's possible. I it's totally possible. People are, are. Yeah, pe-
1: People are adaptable. You know, something stops being available. You're like, all right, well, I'm just, just I'm not going to have that now. <laughs> and then once you do see it, then all of a sudden, you like Adam said, then nothing matters more in the universe than getting that thing. Yeah, but it, it is it's funny though out. how every once in a while, just like
0: things line up just right where something is. It is just the thing that you need right now. Just hits you.
1: It's the McRib. Man. Yep. It's the, the McDonald's knows this. Dude, have you ha- have you had a McRib? No. Yep. It's fine. It, it's not ribs. It's it's basically it's like a meat. Uh, it's a meat it's patty like a in the vague shape
0: thing. of ribs. Yeah,
1: it's in the vague shape of ribs, and they just kind of like cook it and slather some sauce on it, and it's fine. But it's scarce, so they get to capitalize on the mm-hmm. on the cravings. Uh, all right, well, I hope that answers the question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. All right, that's all the time we have for this week. We'd like to thank our producers, Fat Bard and Jen Coster, for putting the podcast together. And thanks to our community moderators who keep our Discord running. To get more involved in the Butterscotch community, go to podcast.bscotch.net, where we have links to everything you could ever want out of life. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week.
0: Goodbye.
1: Bye. Bye.